The views and opinions reflected in any of the stories narrated are solely those of the story contributor and are not necessarily that of the Nightmare Society. This podcast features adult content, so listener discretion is highly advised. And if you or anyone you know is struggling, help is available. Please see the resources in the show notes. Hello again, Nightmare Society. Get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. To start, I will freely admit that my memory of events is shoddy from passage of time, especially as I was a small child when this took place. It's entirely possible nothing occurred at all. For some reason, I am positive that it was in August. It was certainly during summer recess from school. I believe it was 2000, but it could have been as early as 1998. My mom thinks it was 2001. I awoke in the middle of that summer night to the family dog, a medium-sized older adult, not yet elderly, in my bedroom. Years later, I would come to realize how odd this was. Despite treats, comfy dog beds, even permission to sleep in my own bed, the dog never slept in my bedroom. It wasn't personal. On the odd occasion, I would fall asleep on the couch and he would crowd himself in with me. I think my bedroom might have been too warm for him. The night I didn't register his presence as abnormal. In a sleepy haze, I walked down the hall to the bathroom. I turned on the bright light, did my business, washed my hands, turned off the light, and exited the bathroom. I was surprised to find the dog again. This time, he was facing into the living room and growling. I turned my head and saw what I would later refer to as the blue man. What I remember seeing is a blue human shaped figure I think the blue was due to my eyes adjusting back to the dark I immediately raced back down the hallway to tell my parents my father is a notoriously heavy sleeper my mom not so much my mom remembers hearing the growling before the dog and I clattered down the hall into their bedroom as well as hearing the door to the backyard close before we got there She immediately let me snuggle up to her while I insisted I saw a blue man. She made several attempts to rouse my father, but he remained asleep. Their phone was on his side of the bed. She laid there stroking my hair for several minutes and listening. She didn't hear any cars, any footprints, or anyone running down our long driveway. She surmised that if we heard anything at all, It was someone in our house, and on foot. In the minutes we had waited, the person could have easily covered a good amount of ground. In the time it would have taken for police to arrive, they could have been too far away to trace. She opted to try to go back to sleep. The dog remained next to us until morning. At the time, we lived in the woods and had no real neighbors. Our driveway led to a busy road, with our house hidden by some trees. 
in the backyard if one ran in any direction that would spend several minutes hiking among trees and either come to a clearing bordering a busy road or the busy road itself. I say busy, but again, this was a rural area. A car would seldom be driving at night. It being a country house in the middle of nowhere, we kept the back door unlocked and the front locked. After this incident, both doors got an extra lock and were religiously checked before the last resident went to sleep. In the morning following the alleged intrusion, my parents checked the backyard and saw no signs of anyone being there. However, there wouldn't have been many signs to make. Our phone lines were not cut. As I got older, I began to tell myself that I must have been confused as my young eyes adjusted from the dark of the house to the bright light of the bathroom and back to the darkness. Perhaps the reflection of the moon through the front window made me seem some kind of blue splotch. Perhaps I only imagined the dog growling and he was just wandering the house because he couldn't sleep. My mother would maintain that she heard the closing of our unlocked back door, but could that have been the power of suggestion from her not being fully awake when the dog and I charged in? Additionally, what reason would any person have for wanting to enter the back door of our home? It was a small house with no trappings of wealth. No one could confuse it for a rich person's summer camp. The nearest establishments were miles and miles away. No inebriated person would wander the woods when there were two main roads they could have found. Even if they had, our dog was a barker. Anyone who entered our home through the front door was treated to a refrain of deep barks. On the rare moments of reminder, I shrugged it off as a child's overactive imagination. Unfortunately, even if that was the case, that night planted itself into my subconscious and helped bloom a garden of fears involving sleep, locked doors, and aliens. I was content to believe that until I posted this story on another subreddit in a thread about creepy encounters. For the first time in years, I gave the incident a serious breakdown in my mind. The incident takes place in rural St. Lawrence County. Serial killer Israel Keyes was known to spend time in the area. Before his death, he confessed to the murder of a Vermont couple, later stashing the weapons in Parrishville, New York. His family owned a shack and a plot of land in Constable, New York, roughly 65 miles away. He has confessed to burying a victim in northern New York. I've read northern New York in papers, and I'm not sure if it's a direct quote of his. If he spent a lot of time here... He would know how to refer to specific regions as Northern New York, where someone from the outside area would say, the much more generalized upstate New York. Near the Racket River, but a body hasn't been found. Israel also confessed to a bank robbery in the nearby Franklin County town of Tupper Lake, New York, as well as several other bank robberies yet to be solved. Several banks were robbed in the St. Lawrence County, New York town of Canton. By strange coincidence, I happened to be in Canton during one of them. I remember the police car speeding by. To this day, all the robberies are unsolved, though no evidence of him can be tied to any of them. Most people now believe that Keyes must have been behind at least one of them. Since thinking back on this story, I cannot help but wonder if my blue man, who I have tried so hard to convince myself was imaginary, could have been Israel Keyes. There are some unsettling similarities. 
Our home had an attached garage which Keys preferred. The dog didn't always accost people who walked in our back door, which we used much more than our front door. In August of 2000, Israel was stationed in Washington State. In August of 2001, he would have been fresh off of Army discharge. Keyes was also said to not target homes with a dog or a child, despite being suspected of murdering several teenagers. Our home had a swing set in the backyard. If he was casing our home during hours we were at work and school, he would have seen that, even if he never saw me. If he were casing us from a distance and still hadn't seen me, he would have heard the dog barking at wildlife. Perhaps he wasn't yet firm with those rules and backed out when, hypothetically, my dog and I caught him. I know the kid's rule came after his daughter was born, and he said having to kill a kid like BTK would have changed him. Israel also told the FBI that when he started, he learned he made a terrible cat burglar due to his size. He never elaborated, but one has to wonder how he could have learned such a fact without first breaking into a house. first summer back home from freshman year of college, I picked up a part-time job delivering pizza in a town around 30 minutes away from where I lived. The area, in rural Georgia, is known for having places that are in the middle of nowhere, and the pizza place's whole shtick was that it delivered to even the most remote areas imaginable within the town limits. I could fill books with the weird experiences that summer from the call that came from a long-abandoned warehouse to the dog that got excited about the pizza in my hand and accidentally shredded my pants with her claws. But one will always stand out in my mind as the creepiest. It was getting fairly late at night, around 10.30pm, so I was confident at the time that I would be sent on no further calls before closing at 11. However, someone barely managed to miss the cutoff time, and our clerk accepted their order since they were so close. I was given the address in a single box of hot dough and sent on my merry little way. The first red flag was the driveway, or lack thereof. There was a mailbox, but no actual driveway. Not even gravel. It was just grass, and a barely distinguishable trodden pathway that resembled more of a service trail than it did something frequently used. I bumped along, wondering if I was even en route to the place when I saw a slightly above average sized house come over the horizon, horribly dilapidated and completely surrounded by overgrown woods. I guesstimated where the rest of the driveway led and ended up parking in a grassy patch that could have even been the walkway just as easily as it could have been the front yard. Headlights aimed towards the porch, as per company policy. I walked up to the door, but I believe that calling it a door is generous. It was a door frame, all right, but the door itself was just a large slab of wood propped haphazardly against the side of the house, barely covering the entrance. This was red flag number two. The third and fourth red flag were also on the door. This included the A4 sheet of print paper with the words around back scribbled in all caps which was hanging just below the place where somebody had self-engraved the door with the title. 
Manson Family Ranch. Typically, I would never go around to the back of the house, especially a shady, unlit house, and especially, especially at night. However, it was my last drop of the day, and I was ready to get it over with and be on my way home. Against my better judgment, I traipsed around the back of the house. The door back there was an actual door, but it was covered with cobwebs and fresh spider webs. Clearly, this was a door that had not been used in some time. I found the cleanest area available and knocked. I counted to 45 and knocked again. There were no lights on in the house and I could hear no movement from inside. I knocked and counted again and repeated the sequence three more times before I was finally creeped enough to decide to return to my car. As I turned, I finally heard a voice coming from inside the house, clearly agitated, but I couldn't tell what they were saying. I tried to knock one more time, and as I was counting, I heard something in the woods behind me. It started out as just a movement deep in the trees, but soon enough I could make out distinct running footsteps coming directly towards me through the brush. As I'm standing there, coming to terms with my impending demise, I follow the direction of the noise to the edge of the woods, which is around 15 feet away from me. In the moonlight, I could clearly see the woman who stepped out. She was relatively old, maybe in her 60s. She had long, blonde gray hair which was tangled and matted and hung down past her hips. She was in what looked to be originally a white nightgown but at that time it was dingy and closer to a beige-ish brown color. She was absolutely barefoot and her feet were covered in dirt and what had to be blood, presumably due to the fact that she had just sprinted through the prickly woods where there was no trail to be seen. I never learned her name, but I still affectionately refer to her as Red Flag Number 5. She stopped short when she saw me and started to shake her head no, eyes wide. I stood there like a terrified deer in the most screwed up headlights ever, and she took a few more steps towards me, reaching out to me, finger pointed. Her voice came out way stronger than mine would have at the time when she spoke. You know how southern people can either sound like loving grandmothers or backwood murderers? Well, she sounded like the latter when she drawled. You get on out of here. You get on out of here right now. You get. I wish I could say I listened. I ran. I left. But I was so in shock at how events were playing out that my own self-preservation was put on the back burner while I tried to figure out just what in the Kentucky fried heck was happening. She seemed to realize that I was not moving, even if I could not make my mouth move to ask her what was happening or even what to do with the stupid pizza in my hands. She looked at me like she could have smacked the heck out of me right then and there, and proceeded to deliver red flag 6 through 12. Darling, you deaf or dumb. Young girls like you come out here, then they don't get to leave. So I finally quit being the white person in a horror movie when I realized that this was not a funny little ghost story. This was 5 foot 3 inch, 116 pound me, potentially being targeted to be robbed or kidnapped, or worse. So I dropped the dumb little pizza, which had serious serial killer toppings by the way, 
and started running back to my car, which I had stupidly left on and unlocked, as was usual for most of my deliveries. As I neared the car, I heard a slam from behind me, and I looked over my shoulder to see that the wooden door had been pushed over and had fallen onto the porch beneath it. As I was closing the car door, an older man was limping down the front steps, waving his arms like an airplay runway attendant at me, calling me names and telling me to get out of the effing car now. At a loss for what to do, I called out something muttery and shaky along the lines of, Uh, pizza is in the back. I floored my dad's crappy little 90s Lexus and somehow managed to avoid trees on the odd trail back to the main road which was still 12 miles and several turns from any road that actually had a name, let alone painted lines. I reported it to my manager and he said he contacted police, but nothing ever came of it that I'm aware of. Either way, that was my first and hopefully last personal encounter with the self-proclaimed Manson Family Ranch. My friend's dad was a young man in the 1970s. He lived in the suburbs of a major American city. He wasn't older than 18 or 19. The economy back then wasn't great, and so guys, especially as young as him, would really take any job. After lots of searching, he finally found work for a contractor, mainly carpentry stuff and whatnot. His boss was a nice, friendly enough guy but something about him was a little off-putting. He had a nervous way about him, and yet was somehow inviting. One day his boss needs to talk to him. The business is pretty informal and local, not a very big deal, and so my friend's dad goes to his boss's house. He knocks on the door. No answer. For whatever reason, he finds the door is unlocked and decides to walk in. His boss is nowhere to be seen. He calls out his name a few times and hears shuffling on the basement steps as his boss comes hurtling up them, flinging the door open, looking sweaty and angry. His boss apologizes for the entrance and they talk business for a while before my friend's dad left. He was really weirded out by the situation and never showed up to work again, although he probably wouldn't be around today if he had. If he had... He might have been one of the victims on the long list of John Wayne Gacy. This happened a few years ago while I was still in my hometown. I was going for a late night walk in the early AMs, which was fairly common, and I always felt relatively safe and street smart to avoid bad situations. My walks would often take me all over town, though a favorite haunt was a park we had down by the river, though it was a known hangout spot for weirdos and druggies so late. I've walked there plenty of times and never encountered any problems, so I went down there again all the same to enjoy the breezy river air. The walk to the park itself was uneventful, and so we'll get to the anatomy of the park itself, something vital to realize the magnitude of the issue. The park was unfenced and easy to get into, open to the public, and looking from the park itself, you could see an opening to the beach and a river along it. There needed to be an opening because the beach was a bit of a drop-off, 
He had to take a moderate step down from the concrete supporting the park itself just to get onto the sand and away from this opening. The disparity between the concrete steps and beach became such a length that they needed fencing so as to prevent people from falling and hurting themselves. Basically, everywhere not beach led to a major drop-off into only a sparse line of sand or muddy area, with the only thing separating you from the drop was either fencing or a major tree line. So as I'm walking through the park, there's nobody around, and it's absolutely silent until the hooting of an owl breaks it. I'm surprised because owls were rare in those parts and at that time of the year, but I ignore it and continue my walk as it continues hooting. As I meandered closer to where it sounded, I noticed two things. That the owl sounded like it was in pain, and that it was on the ground. I get really concerned for it, and I want to help it, so I start going over to where the hooting is coming from. Though, tentatively. Because even right then, a weird chill climbed up my spine, though I couldn't say why. I get closer and it sounds louder, more hurt, and is definitely on the ground in the same place. I keep walking closer and I hear it right behind the tree line after the ground steeply drops off. Or more of the park's layout anywhere past the tree line led to a drop that was just a thin line of earth separating you from the water, like a gorge. If you jumped down you were relatively stuck because you couldn't go forward for the water. Climbing back up was nightmarish for all of the roots of trees jutting out and going left or right would have forced you to follow an extremely narrow path with little room. This owl was right behind the drop-off point, so even getting closer I couldn't see it. The owl kept hooting and I got right in front of the trees and could hear it right under me. All I had to do was jump down and I would see it and be able to get it. But I didn't. The weird feeling, this chill up my back kept getting higher and higher and more and more intense the closer I got and my conscious brain finally picked up on why. I started counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then the owl hooted. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I did this a few more times, and it sounded on ten, again, and again, and I finally realized why I felt so creeped out, and why my subconscious brain was screaming at me to run away. It wasn't an owl. It was a recording. A recording of a wounded owl, on the ground, waiting for anyone to come with the intention to help it. Past a tree line, obscuring their vision past a drop-off point you couldn't climb back up from, and on a path you couldn't run in at all, where someone, anyone, could be waiting. It was a lure, meant to lead someone into a trap, and I suddenly felt very, very cold and clammy, and like I was being watched. I immediately turned and started speed-walking away, taking the nearest exit out of the park, and on to as many lit streets as I could, all the way home constantly checking to see if I was followed. I stayed up the entire night, fully paranoid, 
and looking out all of the windows I could to see if anyone's there. But nothing bad ever happened and no one ever tried to get me. The next night I went back with my sister's cell phone with the intent to call the police and report it if I heard it again. But no hooting ever occurred and upon a more thorough inspection, nobody seemed to be lying in wait. I kept an eye on the newspapers for a bit after that too to check if anyone else reported similar happenings or, God forbid, if anyone got hurt in a similar incident. But I never saw anything. And while I do still continue to take night walks, I always carry a weapon on me to defend myself and always, always make a point to trust my instincts. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time.